I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike into the one o'clock hour now here at KSL News Radio. Remember tonight, the final debate between the two candidates for president, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, kicks off at uh, is it seven o'clock. Amy, is that what time it comes on? Seven. Uh, it's, uh, it's 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 this, this evening. We've got a countdown or something. Uh, looking forward to it. We'll talk about uh, later on today on the program. We'll talk about what is to come. Some of the predictions. I conducted a poll last night. Uh, a survey of sorts, asked a bunch of questions about uh, your plans tonight, uh, whether or not you're decided. And then I asked some questions about your children. Will you be inviting your children to participate? I'll share with you those poll results uh, towards the end of the program. But right now we're talking about the family. Unfortunately, we're talking about the family of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. She, this morning, uh, received a unanimous vote of support from the Senate Committee on the Judiciary to forward her nomination to the full floor of the Senate. Now, it is... It's a unanimous asterisk, right? And that asterisk, if you read it down there at the bottom, it says, uh, yeah, it was unanimous, but that's only because all the Democrats, uh, they boycotted the vote, never showed up. And so uh, all Republicans there present, the 12 of them voted in favor, and then uh, and then it was the Democrats uh, absent. Uh, they opted not to even vote against. And so, you know what? Technically, that's a unanimous vote. That's going to be a pretty good thing to claim there down the down the road. The biography of uh, Judge Barrett in years and years to come will likely say something along the lines of unanimous, right? That'd be a cool. That'd be a cool headline for a, a biography. Unanimous support, something like that. Anyway, uh, what we're talking about here has to do specifically with the adoption of two of her children. the The quick backstory is in two thousand five when now Chief Justice John Roberts was being considered for nomination, uh, or rather considered for a confirmation by the United States Senate, it was revealed that the New York Times was digging into the, the circumstances surrounding the adoption of two of his children. And uh, there was a, uh, a national organization, the National Council for Adoption. Uh, when they caught wind of that, they denounced they denounced the decision uh, of the New York Times in the strongest of terms to investigate that adoption. They talked about the Times for political reasons targeting the very private circumstances, motivations, and processes by which the Roberts uh, became parents. And as I read that and learned that the New York Times was at it again, in fact, uh, it wasn't just that I learned that they were investigating this family. I learned that it actually published an article. Yeah, it, it's out there. We we know exactly where her children came from. We know the circumstances of the adoption. We know everything about them. And you may say to yourself, yeah, well, Lee, uh, if you have been paying attention, you have heard the judge herself uh, in the Rose Garden, in the committee chambers of the United States Senate Committee on the Judiciary. You know that she has spoken about her family time and time again. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. But guess what? That does not open the door for you and I to pry and stick our noses into those private lives, okay? She is the marshal of that information. She is the gatekeeper of the backgrounds of her children. If she chooses to share something with us publicly, then we are entitled to that information. But until and unless that decision is made by her and her family, it is none of our business, and it's not the business of the New York Times. I want to share one last point here, and then I want to go to the phones. Uh, And if you want to weigh in on this, please, the phone lines are wide open, 801-575-8255. Am I off base here? Uh, should, Should the background of her adopted children being fair game? Yeah, I don't think so, but I'm open to uh, hearing otherwise. We'll get to the phones in just a moment, but I want to share with you a few details. This comes from the Twitter uh, of the of one of the reporters, so-called, who wrote this article for the New York Times, a, a Catherine Porter. Uh, she, starting here at the beginning, she, uh, she says she opened her heart. Well, this is a quote from President Trump she shares. She opened her heart uh, and her home and adopted two beautiful children from Haiti. So what is Catherine Porter, reporter with the New York Times, what's her reaction to that? It is, so we set out to find the orphanage they came from. <laughs> That's your reaction? That's it? Yeah. Uh, the, it's one of those long Twitter threads. I won't bore you with everything it says, but I want to read this one here. Uh, this is the sixth of countless tweets in this thread. Catherine Porter, uh, again, one of the reporters who authored this uh, report in the New York Times about the adoption the circumstances behind the adoption of two of Judge Barrett's children. She writes, there are more than 500 orphanages in Haiti, according to some statistics. But since few are registered, no one really knows. It took us weeks to find the orphanage the Barrett kids were adopted from. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that it took Catherine Porter weeks to find the orphanage the Barrett kids were adopted from? I, I you know, it's tough to read like inflection and tone and all that in, in the written word. And so, you know, I'm probably inappropriate reading it the way that I am, maybe not the way she intended to write it. But it just strikes me as cold that there was uh, a story to seek out. And so what did they do? They started combing through the records of orphanages in Haiti. And it took them weeks to find the orphanage that the Barrett kids were adopted from. You know why it took you, you, know why it took you weeks? And what does that tell us? It tells us that you did this without the blessing and the support and help and approval of Judge Barrett. It wouldn't have taken you weeks if you had had uh, Judge Barrett as as a partner in this effort. Instead, no, you uh, went around her and you started digging into the background of her children. It's invasive, it's wrong, it's predatory, and I'd go a step further, it's evil. Uh, Let's go to the phones here. Uh, I've got on the line Darren from Cedar Hills. Darren, what do you say about all this? Hey, I agree with you, and I appreciate you bringing up the issue. I I think most of us would assume that the New York Times' motives are not pure for digging into it this way. But I think it's an opportunity as well for the rest of us and people like you in the the media bringing it up to actually talk about the positives of adoption and using Judge Barrett as a positive example for adoption. Most people, politics aside, most people want less – abortions. Well, in the same discussion, why aren't we talking about there will be an increased need then for adoptions? And here's a great opportunity to use a great example of, of a young couple who decided to do that. Yeah, no, you, you, make, a, you make a great point. Uh, and, and I would only echo that. Some of my greatest friends, closest friends growing up uh, adopted. Their experience was wonderful. And you learn some circumstances where adopted children are taking from 
uh, or at least liberated from very trying circumstances. And it's a, a noble thing for both uh, the, the individual who views their circumstance and knows that there is a better life elsewhere for their child and engages the adoption system, and then there is great nobility observed in those who engage it as adoptive parents. Uh, Darren, you're absolutely right. Uh, thank you for the point that you bring up. Uh, anyway, I'm going to calm down on, on this story. Uh, and I just, as we have you know, come to know that there are children, young children, in the lives of you know, very well-known politicians, I think that we have many examples of respect being paid and distance being uh, observed and respected. You think about uh, Baron Trump. Uh, he has, and I applaud uh, media for doing so, he has enjoyed uh, privacy. He has jo- enjoyed, uh, you know, he's, been, he's lived a life free of controversy. I think the only uh, real substantive anything we have learned about Barron was in the blog post from First Lady Melania Trump, as she described recently, that uh, when she and her husband, the president, President Trump, came down with the coronavirus, that so too did their young son, Barron. Uh, you know, when, when the news came across that the, the president and first lady had contracted the coronavirus, you know, we didn't go digging. Uh, I can't imagine that, uh, that the New York Times spent hours and hours and hours uh, looking into and trying to figure out whether or not. But no, we respected his, his distance and his privacy. And that comes uh, at the request of people like Hillary Clinton or I'm sorry, uh, Chelsea Clinton who uh, experienced a a similar lifestyle for a time. We respect them. We ought to respect the children uh, of everyone in high-profile places and even in low-profile places. All children ought to be respected. There's the big takeaway. We're going to take a break right now. When we return, I want to share some details with you about a a remarkable piece of technology coming out of Brigham Young University. Uh, Director of the Nanos Foundation is my guest next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.